Listener Production. It's a cosmetics brand that describes itself as natural and environmentally responsible, manufacturing cosmetics with nourishing plant extracts and aromic essential oils. Have a listen to this ad. Down to earth and connected with nature, we cherish our planet and the animals we share it with. Natio is cruelty-free and always has been. Natio is committed to being a responsible, ethical business. So that's an ad for Natio. And you'd have to wonder that if all of that is true, why would their eye pencil contain PFAS, the synthetic forever chemicals linked to a range of human health risks and environmental contamination? So today, our briefing is from our very own investigations editor here at Listener, Claire Weaver, who followed a hunch she had and sent some cosmetic products to a laboratory for testing. And the results are very interesting. We'll get them in just a moment. First, here are today's headlines. G'day, it's Jan Fran here. It is Friday the 21st of April and we're starting with a very interesting story in Queensland where the state is overhauling its drug laws and advocates say that it could mean 17,000 people a year will stay out of the courts. So these new laws, which are set to pass the parliament, are going to mean that anybody found with small personal quantities of substances are going to be given three chances to avoid criminal charges. Um, and we're talking drugs such as heroin, methamphetamines, um, any illegal substance, basically. Police will issue a warning on the first occasion. Uh, if you're caught a second or a third time, you could be placed in what's called a diversionary program that's run by healthcare workers. If you are caught a fourth time uh, possessing drugs, that's when police will issue a court notice. Yeah, this is really interesting. It seems like just incrementally around Australia, we are moving to more liberal drug laws. Um, ACT have the most lenient laws. They've completely decriminalised the possession of small quantities of these drugs. And now you've got Queensland going to basically a three strikes policy. Yeah, I mean, every other state around the country, except for New South Wales, has the option of police discretion to send someone to a diversion program. Obviously, Queensland has now mandated three strikes, but it's possible that you could be sent to a program in in any other state except New South Wales, where if you are caught, you do end up going through the courts straight off the bat. But I think it's sort of part of this growing understanding of the way that people use drugs, you know, in this country, either recreationally or not. Um, I think there was data from 2019 from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. One in six Australians had used an illicit drug in the previous 12 months. And I think prior research showed something like 43% of Australians had used an illicit drug at one point in their life. So it's a pretty significant chunk of the population. And speaking of the ACT... They're set to become the first jurisdiction in Australia to offer free universal access to abortions. Now, costs vary, but um, abortions can cost hundreds of dollars. Now they'll be free for surgical and medical abortions in the ACT for up to 16 weeks gestation. That's going to cost $4.6 million over four years and make abortions universally accessible. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing to note here is that um, they're now accessible to those without a Medicare card as well. So we're talking people who might be on temporary visas, for example. Mm. Um, they can now access, you know, this sort of medical procedure if they need to. And, you know, prior, there were some cases and they're you know, few and far between, but they did exist where costs could run into thousands of dollars. And if you're somebody who, for example, is fleeing 
domestic violence or financial abuse from a spouse or whatever it is, every dollar matters. And if you were a fan or are a fan of BuzzFeed News, well, I hate to bring you some bad news today, but it is officially shutting down. Uh, The company has announced a wave of redundancies. So the founder, Jonah Peretti, said that, you know, his company's been hit by the pandemic, by bad stock listings, uh, by a very tough economy, uh, by a slowdown in digital advertising, a number of issues, but also, interestingly, by changing audience habits He says that shutting down the news arm is really part of a broader sort of plan of layoffs within the company. They are moving to slash 15% of its workforce, which amounts to 180 employees. Yeah, so this is an interesting development. I mean, you know, throughout our journalism careers, Jan, of about 15 years, we kind of watched the rise of these um, internet news brands. So BuzzFeed was an iconic one. There were brands like... Vox, Huffington Post, Slate, these big American blogs that basically rode this wave of internet-based journalism coming from blogs and then kind of being exploded through, I guess, the reach of social media. But what's obviously been more challenging is how you monetize that. And BuzzFeed, you know, their reporters were very strong on the social platforms, particularly Twitter, and you often followed their news and they got a lot of attention, but actually drawing eyeballs back to their websites where they could more easily monetize them was a lot more challenging. Mm. Well, I think they relied very heavily on platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, um, eventually Instagram to a certain extent to to distribute a lot of the content. Mm. And Jonah Peretti, who's the CEO, I mean, he said it so much himself that he was slow to accept that these big platforms wouldn't necessarily provide the distribution that BuzzFeed News needed to exist and to get its um, content out to people. Or to share the revenue, whereas I I think media companies that have been um, focusing more on video are able to get revenue share via YouTube and so that revenue is coming back and even the big media companies have been negotiating with um, the likes of Facebook to get a better revenue share, um, given that they provide so much content to the social platforms. But it appears that BuzzFeed haven't been able to get a, a, a big enough slice of that. Mm, maybe we're, they're a bit slow in perhaps making the transition to video um, in, in a way that would have been profitable to them, yeah. And Elon Musk's new rocket, um, the biggest and most powerful he's built, has blasted off on its first test flight and then blew apart minutes later. Um, thankfully, no one was on board. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Driverless rocket, Can I make that thankfully. noise or is it rude? <laughs> well, given no one's died, you can make as much light of it as you want. Um, so it's a 120-metre rocket, pretty big, launched from Texas. Yeah, the video showed that um, some of the 33 main engines were not firing um, and the rocket climbed as high as 39 kilometres before it blew up. Yeah, I think the plan was they were launching it from the southern tip of Texas and it was supposed to do a round-the-world trip and, uh, I guess, gather information. Elon Musk and, and, and his company was very, very quick to say that, look, the failure rate here was going to be high. This is a learning exercise. They still considered it a success. In fact, when you watch the video, um, quite a lot of folks in the control room are cheering when the rocket bursts into flames, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> but I guess maybe they're just they're, they're using it as a learning. 
And speaking of um, aircraft coming down, two people have survived a light plane crash off the Western Australian coast. So the pilot, Michelle Yates, um, was returning with her 15-year-old son flying back to Perth after going up north to watch the solar eclipse when the engine in their plane just cut out. So witnesses saw the plane crash off Leighton Beach near Fremantle but they survived. Yates had to be taken to hospital for treatment um, while her son was treated on the scene. So that's miraculous. So the solar eclipse they'd been to see was up at Exmouth in the state's north and only happens once a century. And there's been all these amazing photos of people out there on the beach in that beautiful part of the world looking up to the sky in wonder. I mean, they would have thought that maybe seeing that solar eclipse was going to be uh, the most Adrenaline-raising part of that trip? Not so. Not so. <laughs> Very glad to hear that they both survived uh, the flight back uh, and, then, and they got to see the solar eclipse and effectively make it back in one piece. Lots of people travelled. I mean, there was one man who travelled from the United States all the way to Exmouth right. to see, um, yeah, that, you know, it's, it's a ref- fairly historic event. Very, very rarely happens. I think it's, what, a once-in-a-century solar mm. eclipse that takes place. Good news all around. Solar eclipse, making it back in one piece. We like that. We like that. All right, Jan, we'll catch you later. We're about to take some cosmetic products to a laboratory. All right, now to our briefing where our very own investigations editor here at Listener took some cosmetic products to a laboratory for testing because of a hunch that they contain some very concerning chemicals known as PFAS. So you might have seen PFAS in the news before. It stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. It's a broad category of synthetic chemicals used in products from nonstick fry pans, food packaging, carpet, couches, camping gear, and firefighting foams. And it really hit the news because of the firefighting foams a few years ago when it was revealed it had been used for decades in firefighting training at RAF bases right around the country and was contaminating surrounding waterways and land. So pretty concerning to think about that and then the reality we might be putting them on our eyebrows or (laughs) used as eyeliner on our skin. So they're being viewed as a big problem around the world. In the EU, they're currently considering a ban on PFAS, which would be one of the largest bans on chemical substances ever in Europe. Claire Weaver joins us now for the first time on The Briefing. Claire, thanks so much for this story. Tell us why we should care about PFAS. Two reasons. Firstly, they're linked to a range of human health problems, including some cancers, thyroid disease, elevated cholesterol, weakened immunity and infertility. Secondly, they're very bad for the environment because they just don't break down. They can get into our water, our soil and food supply, and they're toxic to some animals. Okay, so they have some serious problems, but obviously they must be of some use. Why are they used in so many products? So PFAS have some really useful properties. For example, they can make products water-resistant, grease-proof and more durable. In makeup, it can be useful for waterproofing eye products, making lip and foundation products last longer and creating a smoother application for creams. They may also be used in the manufacturing and shipping or storage processes, meaning that they could unintentionally end up in a product. And so what about regulation? Are they, are they legal? The Australian government has set some recommended tolerable daily intakes for PFAS in water and food, as well as guideline limits for soil in site investigations, but there are no specific rules for cosmetics. 
Right, okay. So are they they're pretty strict limits on how much of this could be in our foods, but nothing on cosmetics? And yeah, nothing on cosmetics. And when it comes to cosmetics, do they have to put this on the label? If there is PFAS in a cosmetic product, will you be able to tell? Well, brands should be listing all their ingredients uh, on their products, but you probably don't know if PFAS are in your cosmetics because even if PFAS is in it, it wouldn't be listed as PFAS. Um, So your best chance of finding out whether a product contains PFAS is to look for PTFE, which is the chemical abbreviation for Teflon, or chemical ingredients containing the word fluoro, because this indicates fluorine and PFAS, as the name suggests, is a fluorinated chemical or, or, or an umbrella term for all fluorinated chemicals. Okay, so they're common types of PFAS, but when you look at a label, given it's such a broad category, there could be so many things there, so many names you don't recognise that might actually be PFAS. Absolutely. And I should also mention that on a practical level, I really struggled to read the fine print in the ingredient panels on cosmetics when I went shopping for this story. It's really tiny. And on something like an eye pencil, you'd have to find a booklet or go online to see the ingredients. Where did this all start for you? We've heard about PFAS in these other contexts. What made you think about PFAS and cosmetics? I'd heard over the years that PFAS was in a a whole lot of uh, products. And then this research paper came out a couple of years ago where they'd looked at PFAS in North American cosmetics and it found it was an issue. It was actually in about half of the products they tested. So that got me thinking, well, what about the Australian market? Is it an issue here or are our products different? So we spend $22 billion a year on cosmetics and toiletries in Australia. And a lot of us put makeup or skincare products Mm. on our skin every day. So it's clearly something I thought was worth checking out. Okay, so we're about to find out what happened when you sent six cosmetic products to the lab. But before we get into that, why should we be concerned about PFAS in cosmetics in particular? Is there a way that cosmetics get into our bloodstream? Yeah, you need a viable exposure route for a health risk to turn into a hazard. Eye pencils and this uh, eyeshadow palette, uh, which came back positive could be absorbed via your tear ducts and, and through your skin. Here's Heather Whitehead. She's from the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, and she was one of the authors of that big study I just mentioned of PFAS in North American cosmetics. If you purchase a cosmetic, you apply it to, say, your face or your eyes. It sits on your face for a set number of hours of the day. And so there's dermal exposure pathways. There's also, you know, if it's on your lips or in your eyes, there's the pathways through there. And those, of course, are most relevant to the people that are wearing them for, you know, eight hours a day. Yeah, when you think about it like that, like these products are on our skin for hours and hours a day, day after day. Exactly. All right, let's go to your testing. How did you decide which products to send to the lab? So I went off to one of our big pharmacies in Australia and had a look at ingredient panels and had a look at products, had a look at the claims they were making. So I was particularly interested in waterproof, uh, long-lasting products. And I just uh, selected a bit of a a selection of brands and and products uh, and brought them into the laboratory for testing. Okay. So how did that all work? Tell us how it played out. So first up, PFAS testing is expensive. So I only sent this small handful of products for testing at Envirolab, which is an accredited uh, testing laboratory on Sydney's North Shore. I literally bought those products in, dropped them off, and it took a week uh, for testing. And then, ping, the results arrived in my inbox. The two products that came back positive were Natio's Define Eye Pencil and Revolution's Forever Flawless Dynamic Eternal Eyeshadow Palette. Okay, so the other four products you tested didn't have PFAS. No, they came back negligible. Um, It's possible with deeper testing that they may have had some, but no, they all came back as negligible readings. 
Okay, so for these two products, the Natio Eye Pencil and the Revolution Eyeshadow Palette, were they concerning levels of PFAS? So it's very difficult to say because there are no benchmark um, amounts. Like if it was water or soil, we'd have something to work with. But for cosmetics, um, I'll, I'll tell you what the results are and I'll give you a little bit of context. The Natio Eye Pencil had a total PFAS content of 440 micrograms per kilo and the Revolution Eyeshadow Palette had 200 micrograms per kilo. So as I said, these figures don't mean much because there aren't set limits for PFAS in cosmetics in Australia to measure them against. But to give you context, those results are higher than the average amount detected in cosmetics that tested positive in that US study, which was 99 micrograms per kilo. Okay, so for the Natio Eye Pencil, you had 440 micrograms per kilogram, which is more than four times greater than the average level of PFAS in American cosmetics. Yes, in the ones that tested positive. Okay, so that sounds concerning. Potentially. So what did the scientists at the lab say when he saw the results? So David Springer, commercial manager at Envirolab, was really surprised. He thought they'd all come back negative. I was a bit surprised about that. I pretty much thought most of them would have been less than detection these days. 10 years ago, you'd probably find it, but there's been such a, a lot of media interest about PFAS, I would have thought all of these would have been phased out by now. Okay, well, that's interesting in itself. What else did you have to say? Well, and then he went on to say that he thought that there should be guidelines for consumer products like cosmetics. And there probably does need to be guidelines in reality, we've probably only just scratched the surface of PFAS analysis. Everyone is so worried about their soil and their water. Water and food is going to be the main ingestion for PFAS. But I think cosmetics and other consumer goods, I think that will be the next big thing to look at. So we don't have guidelines here yet, and you can still legally have PFAS in cosmetics. How's it being dealt with overseas? Well, that big study I mentioned in America actually uh, had quite a profound impact. Um, uh, Heather Whitehead ended up working with some of the brands to try and eliminate PFAS from the products, and it created um, immediate legislative change too. Let's hear more from her on that. After the publication came out, we, and on the same day, we worked with different legislators here in the U.S., and bipartisan bills were announced in both the House and the Senate to try and ban PFAS and cosmetics. And so we spend a lot of time really figuring out ways to get this to folks and make it so that they can actually do something with that information. All right. So that's a sense of what's going on in the US where it feels like there has been a, a bit more work done on PFAS in cosmetics. What is happening here? Is there any move to make these products safer? Not yet. Um, in Australia, we're a bit behind uh, the EU and America. Look, to be honest, I think the Australian government could be stronger in regulating this. Uh, one problem that became clear when I last covered this issue was that PFAS doesn't come under the umbrella of a single agency. It's health, environment, science, agriculture, consumer and more. So it's spread across a lot of areas. So I would say the Australian government tends to be less proactive on PFAS compared to, to these overseas counterparts. But I don't think it's an excuse because um, what I reckon it all comes down to is consumers have a right to know if products they're putting onto their bodies every day contain PFAS, don't you? Well, yeah, but what's the best way to do that? Is it just about labelling? Is it about setting limits on, on the amount of PFAS in cosmetics? What would be a good way of dealing with the situation, do you think? 
So it's it's a really difficult thing to give advice on as the situation is now. I think for consumers individually, they can read labels um, and maybe put waterproof and long-lasting cosmetics under closer scrutiny for a start. I also think that consumers could use social media to put pressure on their favourite brands to eliminate or phase out PFAS from their products. Personally, I also reckon it could be a really good marketing strategy for brands to get on the front foot and get the halo effect of stamping PFAS free on their labels. Oh, that's an interesting idea. So have you personally changed your choice of cosmetics because of this research? No, I don't use a whole lot, (laughs) but I, I probably will read labels a lot closer as a result. All right, and so will I, Claire, next time I'm buying eyeliner. Um, Thank you so much for bringing that story to us. No worries. Thanks, Tom. And a couple of the organisations we just spoke about have come to us with statements. The TGA has said that cosmetics are regulated and complaints about cosmetics that contain PFAS can be made to the Australian Industrial Chemical Introduction Scheme. So that is interesting. And one of the brands got back to us as well. Um, Revolution Beauty Products comply with all health and safety regulation in each of the markets it operates, including Australia. Nonetheless, at the beginning of 2023, Revolution Beauty communicated to all suppliers that PFAS are to be banned in all new Revolution Beauty product developments. If PFAS are found to be present in any Revolution Beauty product, a reformulation will be required. The phasing out of PFAS from our supply chain reflects our commitment to using premium quality ingredients and holding ourselves to the highest standards in product manufacture. That is really interesting. A a major cosmetics company taking a very strong stand on PFAS in their products. Be really interesting to see if they're able to to live up to that, um, but a very interesting response to, to Claire's story. And that is it for the Monday to Friday briefing. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please uh, share it on an Insta story and let your friends know so we can keep building the briefing community. Love having you a part of it and love working with our team as well. Big thank you to our senior producer, Eleanor Harrison-Dengate. Producers Helen Smith, Nicole Castles, editor Matt Kuz-Curry and our socials team Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi. Listener.